went under the stairs. Pod cave in Whoa. Franklin County. Whoa, watch them plosives. We're getting mic technique. Hot, hot, hot. Unprecedented in nearly 60 episodes, we're finally in the same room, and we're going to learn why we don't we, do this more often. We've come back full circle. We started in the same room and we'll end in the same room because I'm not convinced we both make it out of this pod cave alive. <laughs> this is Thunderdome, boys. We're only coming out one way or another. See, the, the situation here, let me break down the situation. Break it down, Spencer. Uh, I live in an attic. He does. Normally. And those are not known for ventilating very well. No. Or temperature management. It's fine in the winter when you're just huddling for warmth and you light every candle in the, in the foolish assumption that it'll keep you alive. But in the summer, it's so hot, I can't turn off my air conditioner <laughs> to record a podcast. No. Because I believe in quality content. I'm not going to give you a, a podcast with humming fans and AC. So instead, I trekked, uh, I trekked about five hours to... Uh, <laughs> To just come do it in person with Nathan because because one of us had the uh, one of us is committed to this endeavor and built an entire uh, room under his house that he bought uh, to to do to accommodate this sort of nonsense. Yeah, and you know what? It was it wasn't an easy journey. It was a pilgrimage. I had to go through the flooded plains of Chesterfield. <laughs> Uh, in their in in no one's defense, they're literally called floodplains. They knew what they got themselves into. They deserved every bit of it. I had to go up the windy Chaco Mountain that is 109. Yeah, no, that's a wild that's a wild expanse. It's fine. Hey, y'all got me through it. Hey, y'all got me through hey, it. Hey, yeah, okay. Also, yay for local references that 12 people will get. Hi, guys. Let's do this because I promise this is this is some quality product. That's right the here. other thing is Spencer has been teasing this one to me for for since the last episode. Uh, and so I'm intrigued to see what, what happens, because the last time we were this well-researched, we were also in person, and uh, we had to re-record the entire thing because it was unusable. <laughs> so let's let's try one more time. My greatest regret is that episode five is such a great story, and we had no idea what we were doing None when we recorded all. it. None at all. In July of 2006, Nathan. Oh, shit. We are recent. That always worries me. Uh-huh. When these people are still alive, it concerns me greatly. A newsletter was published by the J. Reuben Clark Law Society of Orange County, California. Always a great start. The publication was named The Legal Light. Okay. Bunch of paladins. Featuring some kind of ancient Egyptian iconography and papyrus font. Sweet, Sp- sweet papyrus Spencer, font. Spencer, what are you doing? You might not have guessed by the title. No, I haven't. I, no, right now I'm very concerned that the avatar font and Egyptian shit is showing up. I'm getting very concerned. But this is a very religious newsletter. Is it? Really? And it in it is a three-paged recounting of a of a speech given by one William Sheffield, a California judge. All right. Uh, I, I, uh, Mr. Sheffield does not ring any bells for me so far. So good. Sheffield details his first encounters with spirituality, his first spiritual nudge, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, something, priest joke, something, something. He felt it in 1969 when he was uh. making movies <laughs> with a fellow student and nice. a good friend, Steven Spielberg. What? <laughs> you. This is why we don't do it. I'm going to come across this table and slap you. The smugness he had on his face when he did that turn that I can only usually hear and not see. Oh, oh, you're getting slapped before this episode is over. I'm telling you this right now. The fu- Okay, so we have hyper-religious judge man working yeah. for what I can only assume is the Illuminati press, uh, <laughs> who also made <laughs> E.T., apparently? I don't know. What the fuck is happening here? Well, the documentary he made uh, was called Who Collects 
the garbage? Question mark. Uh, garbage men. Answer. <laughs> There's your answer. Short movie, guys. No need for this movie. We've paid them. Examining the life philosophies of a diverse range of celebrity subjects, oh, uh, Sheffield and his soon-to-be first wife, April, traveled the world. <laughs> <laughs> that always bodes well when you preface it with first. Conducting interviews with the likes of Bob Hope, Sammy Davis Jr., the King of Thailand, <laughs> and... <laughs> The Beatles' Maharashi, which, what? in case you're not familiar, that's the dude that he was the uh, Indian priest who just told them to stop doing drugs and start meditating. When George Harrison started playing with the sitar. Yes, exactly. Around that time? Yeah. Exactly. Now, uh, let's play a game, Spencer. And this game's Please. called Which of These Things is Not Like the Other. Um, <laughs> and it's a, well, it's a well-trodden game, and it's a mm-hmm. game we use occasionally. Um, you named three well-known pop culture celebrities and the king of Thailand. He's apparently very accessible to the media. I, I understand that, but so is the whole guy on the uh, corner. Apparently the... he's eager for press, Nathan. <laughs> What's How the... many reporters do you think are coming to give the king of Thailand hot, hot, <laughs> I mean, hot you're, questions? You're the king of Thailand. What year is this? Like 1969? You're a king in the 60s. Come on. People want to talk to you. Apparently not. Apparently he's just... Is Angkor Wat in Thailand? I feel like it should be if it's not. <laughs> if it is, that's a cool tourist destination. Ding, talk ding, about ding. that. That's one Civ reference, folks. We're not even five minutes in. <laughs> oh, no. It's be a good day. We're going for the land speed record here, guys. Uh, he claims to have chased uh, Pablo Picasso, chased him down for a good interview, uh, but no avail. He got away. P- P- Picasso is notoriously a greased up pig of a man um, <laughs> and, and also a wild sexist, so go get yourself fucked, Pablo Picasso. He can do a U turn on a dime. It's impossible to bang that guy. Uh, yeah, his, he has, his juke moves are out of this world. He has like a 99 agility on Madden. There's a reason his paintings look like a goddamn child's work, is because he's uh, constantly driving the getaway car with one hand <laughs> and etching the semblance of a face with the other. April penned an article about their experience in the June 1969 issue of Esquire. (laughs) After filming each interview, he would send back film to Spielberg, with whom he held weekly telephone conferences. Uh, But the film was never completed, and Sheffield moved on, enrolling in law school at UC Berkeley. Um, yeah, because that's what you do. You do... uh, So this was, again, late 60s, early 70s. Yes. Um, I feel like I don't have... Normally, I'm able to be researching things on the fly without you noticing uh, to be stealthy, but but when when did Stevie get his... When did Stevie get his start? I feel like it was the 80s, personally. I feel like I, that's when he started. I feel like that's when we all think it was, but I feel like it had to be. Oh, my God. He is just a smug-looking motherfucker. He really um, is. Oh, he really every, is. Everything about him looks bad, and I don't like it. Especially when he said Netflix movies don't deserve to be won yeah, at the no, Academy no, Awards. Yeah, they're, they're garbage. No, yeah. okay. So Stevie's big break was in 75. Jaws was 75. Okay, so, so like mid-70s. Yeah. yeah. Now, now again, the top three movies when you look up Steven Spielberg in order are E.T., as you do. Yeah. Jaws. Yes. Classic. Obviously. Ready Player One. I would like to <laughs> submit it. I'd like to submit my disagreeance, Google. Also, interesting fact, at the same time, a movie before Jaws, in 1971, the same time we're talking about, Stevie did release an action thriller named Duel. 
where Dennis Weaver, an electro- <laughs> mild manner electronic salesman, uh-huh. drove cross country on a two lane highway and encountered an old oil tanker driven by an unseen driver and seems to enjoy annoying him with dangerous antics on the road. Unable to escape the demonic big rig, David finds himself in a dangerous game demonic of cat and mouse with the big- monstrous truck. When the pursuit uh- escalates to deadly levels, David must summon his inner warrior and turn the tables <laughs> on his tormentor. This is like the shittiest Mad Max ripoff of this ever is heard of. Exactly. There was a fucking shitty movie. It was a fucking trucker movie. It was a bad horror movie made in like the 2000s with that exact same plot. Like exactly to the T same plot. Just like guy on road. It is literally just man versus big rig. Like angry trucker. Oh my God, Stevie. Okay. Nate, what if I told you that Steven Spielberg was not the most interesting part of this episode? Well, uh, based on the amount of research I've now done on him, I'd say fuck you because now it feels like a waste. In the lecture, Sheffield said that he could probably have made it big in Hollywood. Almost certain he would have been filthy rich. However, Sheffield told the audience uh, that he would have been poor in family. Uh, poor in love. Mm, poor mm. in that sweet, sweet faith. Oh, yes. All the things that actually pay your bills. Zero faith bucks in his faith account. <laughs> no, no, no Jesus dollars. Would have had to go on faith welfare. <laughs> Apply for faith unemployment. Which, which we all know is just die, peasant, because that's how they feel about it. So what did Sheffield do instead when he graduated from Cal U in Berkeley? Um, well, hopefully with his law degree, he went on to do some lawyering. Otherwise, he just wasted a lot of money. Well, being the mid to late 70s, Sheffield happened upon a news story coming out of India. Oh, God. Indira Gandhi. Oh, God. No relation to Mahatma Gandhi. No. Was the country's first and only female prime minister. Yeah, yeah. Something, something, lock her up. In the late 70s... <laughs> Uh, Gandhi was organizing a legal defense after her opponent in the 1971 election, Raj Nareen, uh, accused her of manipulating the vote. Uh, she had to defend herself against claims of bribery, voter tampering, and so on and so forth. And confusing people into thinking she was actually Gandhi. Yes, of course. Now, Sheffield watched the news spill forth and about how she planned to defend herself. Uh, and he thought it was a one-way ticket to jail. He was like, this defense? Dog shit. <laughs> I could be doing better than that. He was real, like, backseat driving her defense. And much in the th- in, much in the theme of a uh, couch quarterback, he sent her a 10-page letter detailing how he could do a better job. Oh, my God. Which Why? is how he got a spot on her defense team. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. That's not, no, that's not how this works. Are you even allowed to do... Like, there are rules. Like, can you just show up and be like, I have a... Mer-. Like, I don't let people... We don't let immigrants just, like, come over and be like, I was a lawyer in my country. Can I law here? And they're like, fuck no. Is, does India just play fast and loose with the rules here? Desperation, perhaps. Perhaps oh, desperation. God. Now, uh, Gandhi sort of lost, sort of won the case. Um what? She lost the particular case in question, and it spun the nation into a national emergency as the congressional grip on the country collapsed after about 30 years of independence from Britain. So yeah. it's not a great time to be going through this shit. No. Uh, but then two years later, she was cleared of all charges. Well, as you do. Probably thanks to the sweet, enduring legal counsel of our boy Sheffield. Also, when, what year was this? Uh, this would have been around, oh God, what, uh, like 70, 75. Like somewhere, somewhere around seventy five. Seventy five. Okay, so roughly nine years before she got assassinated. Good. Yes. Good, good, good. That that is a fact. Good. She did. Uh, she did eventually get assassinated. As all good Gandhis do. As all as any good Gandhi would. Any good Gandhi would. During this ordeal, he made good friends with Gandhi's son Rajiv, establishing a lasting connection to the Eastern Hemisphere. 
that might just pop up again, Nathan. Oh, oh, put, this isn't a Chekhov's gun. Of, that, this isn't the Steven Spielberg. Put that one in your back pocket. Um, there's a lot. All right, the last time we put this, this many things in the back pocket, I took you to the Mosquito Lands, and I don't like what you're this, doing to this me. This guy might invent anime. I don't know, I Nathan. Don't. <laughs> Who knows? Now, this guy's biography isn't... Uh, how do I put it? Real? <laughs> no! Nobody's really written it? No! So instead, I'm kind of working with like a bunch of different articles and trying to make a timeline that works. Now, Spencer, this person is extant in the year, like, it's now. He doesn't pick up the phone. <laughs> if you'd believe it. Um, okay. So this is Cock and Bull's research department working overtime. Oh, <laughs> this is why we took a month off, because we sent Spencer to India to track down. I'm just saying, normally we would copy-paste a wiki article and then just talk about risks to pad for time, but, but all gears are all firing. All cylinders are firing. Now, anyway, in 1978... A uh, hippo by the name of Bubbles escaped the Lyon County Safari in Irving, California. Okay, I was uh, I was drinking at the time, or I would have immediately cut you off there. I apologize. A hippo named Bubbles. 1978. 1978. So, my three threads I'm working off of now are Steven Spielberg, Gandhi, and an escaped hippo. Prepare to see where this takes you. Uh, she had marched her ass to a nice swampy drainage pit nearby, not as far. You, as you do. Uh, and had nestled herself a home in it. Reminiscent of the mud and muck she yearned for somewhere on another continent. Somewhere somewhere not in Southern California. Although, arguably, if you got to be in one U.S. state that's not, you know, an African biome, it's California. Southern California. I don't know for... I would argue, and hear me out. This I is, will. This is my new thesis. I uh -huh. would argue that if you were a hippo, you're better served in the bayou. I would argue more swampy, more muddy, you're going to get better service you, in the bayou. I think you need a balance, though, of arid and muddy. Also, what about the Everglades? I feel like the Everglades are a good place. A lot of alligators there. A lot of alligators. You're just assuming boys. that the correlation is if alligator do, so do hippo. I feel like they serve very similar by, like they live in very similar situations. I just think their Venn diagram overlaps at wet. I... <laughs> That's what I think. Wet murder, wet and will murder you. Yes, yes. Wet and high abundance of prey. Yes, yes. Hippo, most dangerous animal in Africa. Absolutely. They will kill you. She had made her little nest in the mud pit. Of course, this drew quite a spectacle, and soon the scene was surrounded by news crews, rangers. <laughs> uh, three men tried to tranquilize Bubbles to get her out. Um, um, tried to? Yeah, to their surprise, the tranks weren't effective, and uh, Bubbles cornered two of the rangers... <laughs> And fucking body slammed another one. Yes! Yeah. Yeah. Bubbles use slam attack. It's super effective. <laughs> she retreated to her mud pit, and for 19 more days, onlookers and reporters uh, just kind of gawked at her as she blew bubbles in the mud. <laughs> Not really sure how to approach her after that point. Well, after she, after you threw everything you had at her and she just laughed it off like Godzilla? Yeah, no, I mean, you back off at that point. Of course, uh, I mentioned this. This has to have some relation. No, it doesn't. Based on the way the rest of the episode's going, it could just be a fun detour you're taking me on. Uh, because one source, the LA Times, uh, alleges that Sheffield played a part in her legal defense, arguing on behalf of the "Don't Kill Her" camp. Okay, I there was about to say when, when I'm just imagining the hippo with a bow tie, and and she's in court, and and Sheffield standing next to her. No, Your no, no. Honor, I worked with the guy that made Jaws. <laughs> I'm just I'm, a, I'm motion to dismiss. I'm a southern lawyer who may or may not have made Jaws and also knows Gandhi. Um, what intonation are we doing here exactly? Why is this hippo standing before us today? What is a man? <laughs> 
She eventually meandered out of the pit and up to a nearby hill. Uh, at this opportunity, Rangers popped her with not one, but two tranks. Uh, she stumbled, fell over, and, and she stayed down on top of the hill. Uh, a specialist came to administer another calming agent because just there's not enough drugs in this hippo. <laughs> I was about to say. Get her some Ambien. They came in and popped her full of Zannies and just went, chill. Uh, Bubbles was effectively subdued. Subdued, that is, because they overdosed her and she died. Well, that's definitely one way to do it. There goes Sheffield's court order to not kill the hippo. All of a sudden, you get away with some... Now, is this a nefarious... It, was this hippo accident or is this hippo malpractice? Are we about to start a hippo... That's a thing. Uh, I was about to say, are we... That's a thing. Oh, no. It's definitely hippo malpractice, although Sheffield was not part of the uh, ensuing fallout for that. Well, no, that was Brown and Crouppen's job at that point. Once, <laughs> once, you, once you've walked into there... We need someone with an eye patch. <laughs> no, that this brace is too grisly. That's Brown and Brown. Brown and Crouppen is the one with Terry Crouppen going on and his weird beard saying that you deserve your billion dollars. I'm here. I'm I'm Terry Crouppen. I'm here for you. Local St. Louis <laughs> lawyers, people. But as we say in the justice system, oops. <laughs> Whoops-a-doodle. Uh-oh. The autopsy, by the way, found she was pregnant. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God, no. But that's sad, Nathan. That's heartbreaking. Yes, it is. And I don't know why you would bring it up. I know a happy detour. Okay. Do you want to talk about God for a minute? <laughs> I fucking hate you so much. You want to get spiritual, metaphysical? <laughs> I, I hate you so You want so to alienate much. like everybody listening right I now? have... If they're here and they're not already alienated, <laughs> they're ride or die. If you cannot handle this, brace yourself for the annual pilgrimage to Arkansas. Oh, Jesus Christ. The, We're going to record live from there and it's going to be a nightmare. The, I, I'm bringing the equipment. We're going to do it on our dinghy I'm, out in the lake. I, the equipment's all right here. It's all right here. This is the beginning of the God chapter for Sheffield. So, okay. So, chapter one, Jaws. Chapter uh-huh. two, Gandhi. Chapter three, Hippo. Yeah. Chapter four, God. Yeah. Uh, this story comes from a 2018 article by Stephen Brainbridge. Not Steven Spielberg. No. Okay. Uh, although it could be a could be a pseudonym. As I understand it, you can't you can't be a good writer with your real name. Since most other articles on this incident uh, have been 404'd on Google News Archive, Brainbridge is what I got. <laughs> That's kind of worrying. In 1968. William Sheffield visited the ancient Hospice du Grand Saint Bernard in Switzerland. That that sounded like an intentionally well-spoken foreign word, guys. Put it on the board. Spencer got one. Spencer got one. I bring my A game when we're doing this in person. You must. A monastery of the uh, Canons Regular of Saint Augustine, a Roman now, Catholic. Now I'm going to say you, you immediately after I praised you fucked up that last <laughs> word there. Um, um, I need to make sure your endorsements ring hollow. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I need to make your word worthless. I'm, gonna, I'm putting a bookmark right here so we can edit that part out where I praised you for your, your <laughs> shit work. You yep. cannot censor the truth. Yeah, let's yeah, let's get that out. Now, this is a Roman Catholic uh, religious order of priests in Switzerland. While in Switzerland, Sheffield contracted one of the uh, clerics in charge, Father Bernard Cretton. One of the... Now, does the article describe it as cleric, or do we play too much D&D and you just immediately ascribe to the holy man a class that he absolutely... Quote cleric. Okay. <laughs> Quote cleric. I'm just making sure here, because if this man isn't casting, like, cure light wounds, I'm worried. <laughs> uh... He contracted him to buy a St. Bernard dog for $175 plus $125 uh, freighting costs to ship the dog to Sheffield's home in California. And this is the story of Beethoven. 
Sheffield. He gets together with Steven Spielberg and they Tim, make Beethoven. Tim Allen learns to love a dog. I don't think Tim's in that movie. I'm I, probably remembering a knockoff Disney I Channel think original. You're a, I think but, you're thinking of like The Hairy Dog, a really bad movie yeah, that didn't yeah. have a St. Bernard that, in it. That even. movie that tack, a children's movie that tackles the subject of putting down a dog. Well, in, in, in our defense. Old Yeller kind of pioneered that territory a long time before Tim Tim got on the scene. I'm just saying, you don't beat pinatas to death anymore. I just didn't expect... (laughs) I didn't expect Disney Channel originals to still make me grasp mortality. I was also... We're going to detour on this now because we must. uh, uh, Because Spencer just just laid a a verbal trap that no one else would get. So my child uh, had a birthday recently. um, And at that birthday, he had a pinata. And it was Spider-Man because, of course, it was. Because my kid likes the right superheroes. Now, the trick is, is that I kind of was, like, selecting various sized bats, like, really sizing them up, making sure he had the right tools for the job when he needed to go out and uh, and murder his icon, You Spider-Man. considered giving him a, a garden mole or maybe just nailing some, some I, nails through the bat? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We were going to really we were gonna really get weird with it. There was a, there was a possible crucifixion angle that I was going to go of with. Of course. Just of depending. Course. But it was only a torso, so it was hard. Um, well, we can make arms. And then I learned... That, no, the way you use this pinata is there's just a string at the bottom and you pull it and the candy comes out. And god damn it, what is the point? You and, heard it here first, and, folks. Nathan's got a problem with the snowflake this, generation. I, no, stop it. Senseless violence against papier-mâché is a tradition in this country and I will not have it undermined. God damn it. Sheffield made uh, three $20 payments, but the monastery refused either to ship a dog or to refund its money. The first one sounds normal. The second one sounds like weird priests. Sheffield then sued in California state court for the price of his substitute dog, $200, and his non-refunded $60. A substitute dog. That's a a weird, weird way to put that. Okay, all right, fine. In the suit, he named uh, Cretton the canon's regular, uh, the Vatican, the Pope, and the local (laughs) archdiocese in the person then presided... Okay. You sued the Pope over $60? Is that... Am, am I being led to believe that the gentleman you're talking to me about... 260 excuse me. <laughs> I don't... I don't think you can walk in front of a judge for less than that amount of money. I think they like like their their cover fee is like five hundred dollars. Sue the Pope for less than the price of an Xbox One. That's what's the problem in, here? Even in the eighties, that seems like a a poor use of your finances. At what point does the sunk cost the- fallacy <laughs> kick in and you just cut your money and run for half the payment on a Ford Pinto? You can sue the Pope for a dog you didn't get. I'm very concerned about this. The Church of course argued uh, against this in a defense neither funny nor interesting because of the Catholic Church. Yeah, no. And ultimately, Sheffield was given jurisdiction to claim compensation from an L.A. branch of the church. Oh, God, yeah, why not? This particular church was then visited by the LAPD in one of their most tame raids of all time. Honestly, this is the problem, is when you've pitted me now, I have the Catholic Church v. LAPD, this is the definition of a no-win scenario. No good one comes out of this. Is This is not a good fight. Uh, they took the collection plates, upturned them, and gave the money to Sheffield as All right. compensation. All right. Yep. Nope. Nope. The church wins this one. Yep. Uh, uh, the, they took the, the plate, Nathan. The solid atheist coming down on the side of the Catholic church in he this one. Because, of course, fucking cops would guess. Fuck. God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> the plate money was taken back because the church argued that the money he took... 
technically hadn't become the popes yet, and oh. therefore he was just robbing the middleman. And so Sheffield had to choose between going into another year of hearings or just taking the bar and I, becoming a lawyer. I, I don't. I don't. I can't. He I dropped can't. the case. He gave up. Of course he did, because you, you, you're you taking... G- At a certain point, can the Pope not just walk in and be like, you're suing God, because that's what I am. You want to take $260 from the creator. How do you are, like, How do you win that fight? $260 dog, Nathan. I, I, I mean... In I, 1985, jumping forward a little oh, bit. Oh, my God, why not? Yes, let's get cocaine involved in this scenario. He's made a few shifts in his life. Oh, has he? Apparently, battling the Pope in the court of law will kick your spirituality around. <laughs> uh, and Sheffield gave some thought to his wife's faith. Uh, his first wife's faith. Mormonism. Oh, God damn it. The church sent him on a mission as a general counsel orient to Hong Kong. Uh, basically, a missionary... It's basically like a legal advisor to the church's Asian branch. That makes sense. Hi, guys. We spent an hour arguing about very serious events. Nathan, and we're trying in, to turn the funny switch back in on. In no way did that become an hour and a half long debate. That did not turn into an the, existentialist nightmare. I had to go grab 32 ounces of the beast. Nathan, 45 ounces of liquor were not ingested between no, the past 10 no, seconds. No, 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 no. That didn't happen. No, I'm not sad anymore at all. Please talk about the funny man in Jaws. Please. Please okay. make me happy all right. again. All right. I, Nathan, I regret to inform you, Spielberg does not come back. God damn it! The good times are over. Sheffield faced some pressure while he was there, strangely enough. Perhaps it was the language barrier, or the culture shock, or the fact that his religion was barred from proselytizing in most Asian countries. Okay, yeah, so there's definitely communism happening in China, and he is just like next door talking about, have you heard the good word of my special Have you heard of Josie Josie Smith? Have you heard of the opiate of the masses? Have you heard of Josie Smith and the Pussycats? Underrated 80s cartoon, Josie Smith and the Pussycats. Something was making him anxious, Nathan. It was any one of those things in this cocktail of of madness, which is where we get to his invention. While walking Spencer, the busy streets of Spencer, Hong Kong, Spencer, this you're about to tell me about his invention. And unless his invention is weird person blinders or goggles that make Asian people look less Asian, I don't know what the fuck you're about to tell me that's going to make this make sense. While walking the busy streets of Hong Kong, Sheffield got a vision from God. A vision that he had no idea how to interpret. A a plastic, ovular frame with firm slats all between. It it was a ladder-like device, shaped like a banana. Um. He dropped to his knees, dumbfounded by this gift from the Lord. God, Nathan, had commanded him to invent the banana slicer. What? In 1989, (laughs) Sheffield met with a plastics manufacturer in Hong Kong... He built and tested a prototype, then secured a patent, US 503-5056A. The patent describes the banana slicer as a, quote, tool which has a frame circumscribing an area into which a typical banana readily fits, and a plurality of spaced ribs or blades disposed transversely to the longitudinal axis of the frame and interconnecting opposite sides of the frame. I'm staring directly into the red light on the microphone, hoping that it will <laughs> no men, men in black this out of my mind. Answers will not be found in there. No, uh, quite, n- nothing. Nothing will be found in there. We've entered the void. I've stared into the void, and the void has stared back. My bra- You've taken me on an 
what feels like a three-day vision quest through a man's life. And if you're telling me the culmination of it is the guy invented the thing to make my Cheerios easier to eat, I'm going to come at you like a spider monkey. I will come across this table. We will come out of the podcasting world the same way we came in. I told you one of them. We're both not leaving here. It's fine. I'm ready. At this rate, I'm I'm ready. Yes, I am going to. This is one of the most researched things I've put my heart and soul into. And I I did an article on how family video is systemically taking over rural America recently, and this has somehow taken up more of my time. The guy who invented the banana slicer. So if you don't think for a minute that I'm not ready to go right now off this mortal coil, you are sorely mistaken. Nathan, he's got the easy parts figured out. He's got the plastics. (laughs) What about the marketing, Nathan? What about it? (laughs) What about the marketing? Call the bad men. Sheffield purchased a book with the name and address of every grocery store in America. What? But, uh... You might call it a phone book. You might call it a specialized phone book. You might call it the most specialized phone book for the guy who really, really needs to know if they've got bananas on hand. He wrote to CEOs, uh, owners, managers alike, asking them to stock their shelves with his slicer. Now, Spencer? Yeah? I don't know about you. I don't. I don't pretend to speak for everybody. I. Uh, I'm just. I'm just a guy in a cave, talking, talking, talking nonsense with a weird quilt next to him. Voice of the thinking man. Voice of the voice of the everyman here. That's my role. Now I don't. I've I've cut a banana once or twice. Mm-hmm. I've uh, I've been a man that enjoyed a bowl of Cheerios and I wanted them to taste less like cardboard than they did. And I'm like, you know what's going to help this? It's a banana. Yeah, it's a banana. This is the man that's worked with his hands. And you know how I, you know how I, I, I now back in the day when our mother was cutting bananas, she, of she would get the heavy duty butter knife out. You know that that mean tool of of heavy duty nature. Of course, and slice it with the butter knife. It took about you know, twelve seconds. Right. Um. And, now uh, and you know what? You hope better for your children. You do. You really. You always want to progress. Now. Yeah. I got to college and decided that I needed, uh, uh, I wanted my breakfast to taste less like shit, so I got a banana out. Right. Now, the thing about a banana is it doesn't really require, I little. I just literally took it in my hands and just pinched it off, and it pinched off into little chunks. And it did the thing. It did the exact thing. Never one time in my time on this mortal coil, walking this goddamn Pangea we call an Earth, have I thought to myself, you know what's really hard to cut? A banana. Man, I wish someone would invent a tool to make this insidious task easier. If only there were another way. If only there were another way. Not one time has that come up. It is the easiest thing in the world to cut. Per what? Unless your job is making fruit salad to specific degrees, what the fuck purpose could this thing have in your life? Please, please explain it to me. Read me the letter he wrote. Have you considered? Maybe this was at a time when plantains were the real banana of the country. We hadn't introduced this new dole, you know, banana knockoff that we know today. Spencer, 
What Spencer, if, what if they were harder to cut? Spencer, we just took an hour detour to discuss the, the the intricacies of communism, and you bring up Dole in front of me. Do you? I will You're stop right. this goddamn right. podcast. The audacity! I will. I will fucking stop again and go through an hour and a half history of the Dole Corporation. I'm just saying. What if Big Dole is right? What if the What if the banana at one point was a real mountain? Was a real Everest to conquer? Mm. And there was a plastic ladder-like device that could solve it. Please talk about anything other than Dole. Nathan, he formed a partnership with Chiquita. God damn it! You said anything else. Fuck you! You said Why? anything else! What sort of monkey's paw curse was this? By Wasn't the- that United Fruit Company? <laughs> the ones that invented the concept of banana republics? But God damn it! By flying to Cincinnati to convince a very skeptical VP of marketing that a, quote, home with a banana slicer would buy more bananas than a home that didn't have one. That's just so hard to cut them. Like two scenarios ever that involve cutting a banana. And let's go through them. It is to put in your cereal <laughs> slash oatmeal if you're a monster. Okay. It's or delicious, but I'll hear you on. To make some variant of fruit salad. Yes. Now, it's the worst variant because no fruit salad should have bananas in them. They go bad so damn quickly. What What, what kind of, like, seven-day fruit salad are you making? That's... I just want a fruit salad that's going to get to the church barbecue without going... With, like, ha- a quarter of it being We're, fallow. Now, at the same... Again, there are two niche cases... That you would ever cut a banana in. The rest right. of the time, you eat a banana like everyone eats a fucking banana. You peel it from the bottom because, like, that's the way you're supposed to do it. And then you eat it. What purpose is this thing serving? Nathan, I went to the BP of Jakita. Of course And he did. was like... You gotta make this thing. You gotta endorse this thing because the house that owns a banana slicer shall buy more bananas. Because you gotta endorse this. So he wants like the Chiquita stamp of a. He wants the Chiquita Don't banana. Don't buy this, lest you're buying a banana slicer along with it. Because folks, you will have a, such a hard time. You'll regret every banana you ate that you didn't own a banana slicer. I have lived on this earth for thirty years. Yes, almost thirty-one. Uh huh close. Yeah. I've never seen a banana slicer. I've never witnessed one. And Nathan, how many bananas have you eaten? uh, It's uncountable. I mean, it's an incalculable amount of bananas I have. What if I told you you could have been eating ten times as many if you had a banana slicer? Do you take the peel off? So the the majority of the manual labor, the one part that could have been easier, (laughs) you didn't even take that part out. Sheffield said that the uh, VP initially declined the offer, apparently wasn't won over by that brilliant argument, responding that Chiquita's business is bananas, not banana slicers. And overthrowing South American countries occasionally, depending on our whim. You know, whatever that's, we're Nathan, feeling. that's not as pithy. Whatever we're feeling frisky. But he was swoon. You know, he was sold on the product after he saw just how much kids loved it. 
The Tin Man has a heart, Nathan. Stop! Don't you look around that microphone at me. I'm hiding from you. I'm hiding from you for a fucking reason. You let me live in peace. You. There's a reason we don't look at each other when we do this. There's a good fucking reason, you monster. Inventions don't sell themselves, Nathan. No, they don't. Infomercials do. That's why he sought out endorsements from President George H. W. Bush. I'm taking my headphones off. I quit. First Lady quit. Barbara no, Bush. No, the fuck off. No, I'm you not, can't get away I'm from me. Listening. I'm not I'm done. And I'm Queen Elizabeth II. Go fuck. No, hold on. Headphones going back on. Hold on. <laughs> no, back in the cave. No. The fuck are you talking about? The First Lady called the invention, quote, special. Barbara Bush thought that was real special. Was she, was he feeding them cocaine? And the Queen's personal chef. No. Thanked Sheffield for his wonderful invention. No. That, you know what, though? If there's one human being on this goddamn earth that I think could have benefited from a massive banana slicing apparatus, it's the guy that has to make the queen her random fruit salads. Because he probably does it on a scale that's worthwhile. Barbara Bush ain't cutting any fucking bananas. Diane, Harry, all them little, all those little princesses and princes, they're eating so many goddamn bananas. I'm pretty sure the queen's personal chef was like, finally! Why? <laughs> finally, I may sate these little beasts. Are the three people you need to endorse your product, George? <laughs> George H.W. Bush. Barbara. Barb? Little Barb. What about Barb? And QB2. <laughs> what the fuck? What Who else, actual Nathan? fuck? Who, what's your better get? The king of Thailand? That dude talks to anybody. <laughs> it means nothing when he in, he endorses Wildberry Pop-Tarts. Someone won. Wildberry Pop-Tarts need no endorsement. They are a perfect They're already product. God's gift to Earth. They, they need... You could anti-endorse them and I'd still purchase that product. But, like, anyone associated with bananas in some way, Mr. Banana Man... The bananas in pajamas, were they extant uh-huh. at this point? I'm sure they were. 85? Yeah, they were. There's always money in the banana stand. 85? George H.W. Bush was not president in 1985. So he's got his clout. He's got endorsements from Barb. He's got endorsements from the QE2's personal chef. Throughout I, the early 1990s, he sold nearly one million slicers. I, I, now, how much did a slicer cost, Spencer? You don't know the answer. Why do I ask no, you they, questions? Hey, excuse me, Why sir. do I ask you things? Not only are you correct, but... <laughs> the most researched episode. How much was the nonsense? They were cheap. They were very cheap. They were cheap inventions. He did not over... He did not mark up the cost. This man is, at the end, a humanitarian, you'll find. More than 60% of the proceeds went directly to fund the orphanage in India. Uh, now known as Pathway Orphanage. Uh, in the late 70s, the orphanage supported about 20 disabled children, and thanks in part to Sheffield Banana Slicer, Pathway now serves more than 500 daily and has helped over 22,000 people. You can't see me, but I'm looking at a wall because I feel like a little bit of a piece of shit right now. This story came up around the time the Hutzler 571 Banana Slicer uh, became a bit of a meme, you might say. It's actually sort of how I fell into this story. Uh, hundreds of Amazon reviews around 2016 ironically praised the Hutzler 571 banana slicer left and right. But make no mistake, um, despite the memory, despite the, you know, fucking uh, nihilist joking about a banana slicer on Amazon reviews, 
This fucking knockoff slicer was not Banana Bill's wonderful invention. Wait, 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 wait. The Hutzler 571 is not from William Sheffield. Because as it turns out, William Sheffield's product patent expired quite a long time ago. Well, probably, we, I mean, we patented it in the 80s. Yeah, he did not bother to upkeep. He didn't do upkeep. So other imposters were able to swoop in and profit off of it. <laughs> this product, Nathan, the Hutzler 571, was not endorsed by Barb. <laughs> Barb had no stake in that one. Was she dead yet? Probably. Now, 74 years old, Sheffield no longer makes money from the banana slicer. As I've said, his patent has expired. Uh, it expired, actually, in 1999. Quote, to his knowledge, proceeds from the Hutzler 571 banana slicer do not support any charitable efforts. <laughs> Sheffield was apparently frustrated that his slicer didn't receive the same level of memory. But then again, quote, perhaps I was just ahead of my time. <laughs> If only I were born in a more sophisticated era where my charitable banana slicer could be memed on. I've heard of uh, I was born in the wrong generation or decade, and it's usually a bunch of fucking hipsters. Who Never really, in this direction, Who though. really want to sip on martinis with the great Gatsby boy. I've never heard a man who's like, God, if only 4chan could have got a hold of my shit, man. That would have been really where Alexander Graham Bell, like, oh, God, if only the telephone could have had a sweet. God, I wish r slash pics existed. I could be making so much karma right now. Imager would have made me a millionaire. <laughs> uh, Banana Bill secured a meeting with uh, Ranjiv. Our Gandhi boy from way, way earlier. Remember? No. Son of Indira Gandhi. Not even. You do realize that was two hours. That was two hours ago. Two hours of communism and a lot of booze ago. See, Banana Bill made friends with him a long time ago. And he, he, of course, after his banana money. So wait, so is this son of Indira Gandhi? Yes. And what year is this? Uh, 1995, we'll say. 1995, we'll say. So roughly a decade after his mother has been assassinated. Yes, so probably about 20 years since he last saw him. So 20 years since he last saw him, 10 years since his mom died, the banana boy comes back into his life. Yes, and the banana boy comes with an agenda. He says... He always does. Well, but if there's one thing Banana Bill is, it's an opportunist. (laughs) He'll take any platform he can Mm -hmm. to spread his message. Mm -hmm. And Banana Bill... Uh, really wants to allow Christian and Mormon missionaries uh, back into India to spread their platform. You know, because that country doesn't have enough problems, let's introduce some more. And he had 10 minutes to ask India's leader to lift that ban. And and, and Rajik, a longtime friend, uh, told Bill he'd think about it. Banana Bill just asked for the sleepover. And Daddy I, Rajik said, we'll think about it. We'll see. I I have infinite respect now for Mr. Rajik that this is, this is good news. Uh, before he learns of Rajik's you know, decision and how he relays that to Congress, um, the Mormon church calls Banana Bill and they're like, Banana Bill... <laughs> Get out of India now. Wait, wait what? Get out. What? They are not going to accept this. We're about to drop a Mormon bomb on India. Get out while you can. You you and the rest of the missionaries, get out. Of course, this was where Banana Bill was willing to, this was the hill he was willing to die on. He said, no, we got to keep him here. This is a message worth fighting for. 
that being said, he didn't really stick to it that hard. The missionaries Good. left, and even to this day, the Mormon Church is uh, is still fighting for its right to proselytize in East Asian countries. Two years ago was the last source I could read up on Banana Bill's well-being, because two years ago, he and his wife went on a mission trip to India uh, that they said was la- would last an indeterminate amount of time, and that's the last I know of him. Was he was going on a Mormon mission trip to India. For an indeterminate... He was going on a vision quest. Yes. With Joseph Smith's magic pajamas. That's a fact. To India. Yeah. We would like to thank Driftless Pony Club for allowing us to use their song, They Built the Future, off the album Magnificent. Of course, we're celebrating the life and uh, continued life of Driftless Pony Club as they are not dead. You not say yet. that. Not yet. They Just because their Facebook page posted a thing. They're not gone. They're, they're not quitting yet. They're not gone As far as I'm concerned, you had no source that they quit yet. I, I feel like I had a source. You can catch us... Whenever, Whenever the moon's we fucking feel like it is when you can catch us. Yeah. Whenever I can drag Spencer five hours west into the pod cave. And, uh, of course, I would like to make a, a twinge of an announcement for, those, you for the three brave people that have made it through this awful hour. All of you should have quit by now. Blunder Phonics is now out. It's a sweet music history podcast. Uh, me and my buddy Jack, uh, we go through albums with troubled productions. It happened. It finally happened, folks. I'm, it's I'm, here. You can't see me, but my hands are in the air in a victory style. I'm Between so the Stanley happy. Cup and Blunder Phonics release, nobody thought 2019 would shape out Nathan how it had. Nathan is so happy. It's you know what? All of Nathan's big gets mm. are happening. I, a person that has no idea about the first album they covered, uh, laughed so hard in my office listening to it that I got looks that I'm concerned I will never get back. Um, it is, it is delightful. It is like this, uh, except there's a much more competent person replacing me. Um, and and they talk about music. It's It's delightful. Please go listen to it. Also, the, the second episode is about like my, one of my favorite albums of all time. So go listen to that specifically. It's, it's very good. Blunder Phonics is here and it's worth the wait. Upcoming albums, uh, include Chinese Democracy by Guns and Roses and unreleased album Smile by the Beach Boys. Call back to Eugene Landy if any of you listen to it. Crossover! If any of you didn't listen to it, how did you get through this? Because this is the test for the real superfans. Now's when we release the codex that allows you to unlock the next level. I refuse to let Nathan out of this because I need to purge so much of this past three hours of recording. There's a reason we can't do this in person. There's a reason, and one of them is because our goddamn third for D&D wouldn't show up on time, that bastard. Yep. <laughs> we can never do this again. Never. I'm this so, is an endurance. It's test. so bad. Oh my Turn, god. I'm turning it off. <laughs>